0: Our world needs climate action on all fronts, everything, everywhere, all at once.
1: The Sustainable Hour. For a green, clean, sustainable Geelong.
0: The Sustainable Hour.
2: Welcome to the Sustainable Hour. We'd like to acknowledge that we're broadcasting from stolen land, this land that was never ceded. It's the land of the Wathaurong people who pay tribute to the elders past, present, and those that will earn that great honor in the future. We won't have climate justice until we have justice for First Nations people, and we don't have kids getting locked up and all these other atrocities that are happening to First Nations people in this country. Also, we hope that we wise up and together with First Nations Australians, we use the accumulated ancient wisdom that they've acquired from nurturing their land and their communities for millennia before it was stolen. Indeed, this is the wisdom that we need to navigate and to get through the climate crisis that we're facing.
3: Looking
4: at the movers, and among the best performers today were coal miners, led by New Hope, its half-year profit more than doubled.
5: On the way down... One of the deadliest tornadoes in Mississippi... Things are dire, we're heading in the wrong direction. The report says the decisions we make now will determine our climate future for thousands of years to come.
6: It is those with political power and with with decision power in in the big companies of this world need... um, to stop subsidizing fossil fuels, to stop everything to burn fossil fuels as fast as possible.
0: Every country must be part of the solution. No new coal. Seizing all licensing or funding of new oil and gas consistent with the findings of the International Energy Agency. Stopping any expansion of existing oil and gas reserves. The longer we wait, the harder it will become the climate time bomb is ticking. Australia, as one of the biggest uh, fossil fuel exporters in the world, and as a developed wealthy country, we have a moral obligation to act decisively. And I totally take the point that we need a policy in place that we can then ratchet up over time. But let's at least ensure that this policy, embedded in, in the aims of it, is to deliver these emissions reductions. The gas exporters use more gas liquefying gas at their facilities to put onto tankers than every household in Australia combined.
7: What Australia needs to be doing is going to the rest of the world saying we are very vulnerable to dangerous climate change. We need the world as a whole to decarbonise. The only way that we can do that without being laughed out of the room, is by cutting our emissions ourselves. We can't be one of the world's largest emitters of carbon per capita and ask other countries to reduce their emissions faster than what we're prepared to do.
0: Said Dr. Roger Darkaville from Monash University when he was interviewed on ABC News last week. What a responsible government that really cared about its people would be doing right now would be to respond to this IPCC report, to say, yes, we've read the report, and we can see how this is affecting all of us. And as it says, for thousands of years into the future, we understand that the youth in particular is feeling this emotional impact. So to deal with this, we're setting up community emergency rules in every postcode, in every town and neighborhood in Australia, just like we did during the pandemic. We stood together when we were attacked by this new virus, we mobilized and we flattened the curve, and we can do this again now. We have a carbon emissions curve that needs to go flat and to start going downwards as quickly as possible. So, when you come to these new climate emergency rooms, you will get help, of course. We are a responsible government. We'll guide you with how you get off gas, how you get rid of your carbon footprint, And we have psychologists and experts who can help you with your mental well-being. And while you do your bit, we will do ours. In accordance with the IPCC report, we will start regulating the gas and the coal companies. No more new gas and coal. No more renewing of licenses. We are giving that industry notice. We want gas export phased out. And we have to stop shipping low-grade thermal coal off to India every day. That's what a responsible government must do to protect its citizens. This is what the IPCC says is needed, so this is what we will do. Said who? Not the Albanese government, as far as I can hear. So what do we do about it? That's one of the things we discuss in the Sustainable Hour. But first it's time for news from around the world, Colin Market, AOM you have the global outlook for us? Yes,
7: I do, Mick, and much of it reflects your first soundbite there. Our global roundup this week begins with everything, everywhere, all at once. That was um, UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres, who borrowed the title of this year's winning Best Picture Oscar when he launched that report that you were alluding to. Secretary General Guattara said that it was suitable because all countries all around the globe must now do everything everywhere all at once to limit heat-trapping emissions. This is now, if we want to avoid climate catastrophe. And it starts, he said, with no new oil, gas or coal development anywhere in the world. But this imperative, which collated the work of six previous reports involving 700 scientists over six years. And it drew on tens of thousands of scientific studies and was signed off by 195 countries, including Australia, was met by a wall of official silence. It's being ignored not only by our government, but also the world's leading two climate superpowers the United States and China. The U.S. just approved the massive Willow oil project in Alaska. And China last year authorized construction of 106 gigawatts worth of new coal plants. For our part, the Albanese government, which was elected 10 months ago on a platform of action on climate change and political integrity, has approved 116 new fossil fuel projects on its resource and energy major projects list, which according to analysis by the Australia Institute this week, is going to add 4.8 billion tonnes of emissions to the atmosphere by 2030. And don't forget that Australia remains the world's biggest exporter of liquefied natural gas and the second largest coal exporter in the world. Neither of them count on our emissions because they're both burned elsewhere in the world and therefore they're not counted by our government. And the bipartisan position of both Labour and coalition parties is that we should mine and sell more coal and gas. That's the only policy that they have together. Meanwhile, that movie title also applies to the impacts of climate change, which is um, in a separate UN report this week said that was striking everywhere, everything all at once. Now, we know because we've already covered about melting ice caps, typhoons in the US, floods in California and in Asia. But here's an unpublished one or an unpublicized one about the Horn of Africa where a new report from Nairobi in Kenya says that an estimated 43,000 people have died in the longest drought on record. That's in Somalia over the past five years, half of them with children. Now, this is the first official death toll that's been announced in a drought that is still withering large parts of the Horn of Africa. At least 18,000 people are forecast to die there in the first six months of this year. We've already had the first three months of that gone. The current crisis is far from over, says a report, which was carried out by the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine and released by the WHO, the World Health Organization, and the United Nations Children's Agency. Somalia, Ethiopia, and Kenya are facing a sixth consecutive failed rainy season. Rising global food prices are complicating the hunger crisis, and the UN described the situation as extremely critical, with some humanitarian and climate officials warning that this year is likely to be worse than the 2011 famine in Somalia, which killed 250,000 people. But this year, the UN report said, the world is collectively looking elsewhere. We simply don't want to know. That's why you haven't read about it or heard about it. Now to Europe, where a Swedish court has given Greta Thunberg and hundreds of other climate activists to go ahead to proceed with a class action lawsuit against their own government for insufficient climate policy. Kronberg and 600 other young activists in a group that's called Aurora actively sued the, the Swedish state last November, claiming that it had to do more to limit global warming in order to live up to the European Convention on Human Rights. This week's announcement simply allows that lawsuit to go ahead. The wheels of justice grind very slowly in Sweden, the state now has 3 months to respond to last week's lawsuit before the case could be heard or settled in writing and the district uh, that's what the district court said adding that it could not say when the suit might be decided elsewhere the wheels of progress turn even slower much too slow for the un We're apart from Secretary General singling out the underwhelming response from Australia and New Zealand and warning, as you heard in mixed soundbite, that the climate time bomb is ticking. The second voice that you heard was the chair of the International Panel on Climate Change, Husung Lee, who said the UN's ICC report offers hope and it provides a warning. The choices we make now and in the next few years will reverberate around the world for hundreds, even thousands of years, he said. You've heard it once, but that's worth reiterating. We need to act now. That's a sombre coming to the conclusion of this week's news, except to say that Forest Green Rovers, the world's greenest sports team, Played Sheffield Wednesday at the weekend and they won 1 0. That's the first time they've won in something like eight games. And their women's team played Royal Wootton Bassett Town Ladies. They won 9 0. And that's the second time that they've won by that score in three weeks. So that's a nice, cheerful note to finish my roundup for the week.
1: Listen to our
2: sustainable hour for the future. Our first guest today is Dr. Mary Debrie. Mary is the president of Breeze. That's Ballarat Renewable Energy and Zero Emissions Group. Mary, thanks for coming on, and welcome to the Sustainable Hour. What's up front for Breeze at the moment?
3: Nice to be here, Tony. Thanks for inviting me. Um, Well, we're pretty busy. We're usually pretty busy. Uh, The last couple of years, we've been a key driver in the city of Ballarat, setting a community-wide net zero emissions target of 2030. And now we're kind of committed to helping to drive that target. Uh, So we're involved in a couple of bulk buys, hot water heat pump bulk buys, um, this is in partnership with Hepburn Energy, um, formerly known as Hepburn Wind, which is a cooperative that's been very proactive in this space. And we're also involved with um, Hepburn Wind, Hepburn Energy, I should say, in uh, an EV bulk buy, um, which will be on the 6th of May. The show and shine day will be in Ballarat. We're involved in a... Um, installing 58 kilowatts of solar PV on uh, the roofs of a not-for-profit in Warwick-Nabeel, Yariambiak, um, Woodbine, uh, which is a disability service provider, and that's the kind of work we do through our social solar program. We we fundraise and we um, apply for grants, and that's being subsidised by the, a grant from the New Energy Jobs Fund, um, Victorian Government um, Fund, that sort of run fairly regularly, um, and that's the kind of work we do. We also run monthly talks. We run one called Smart Living Ballarat. We're in collaboration with the City of Ballarat, and that looks at various aspects of things to support sustainable living. And we also run Ballarat Green Drinks, which is a monthly talk that we run at a local pub where we have... Sort of local heroes and people involved in doing all sorts of things relating to sustainability and renewable energy and EVs, etc. Um, talk and we promote that through our social media channels. Uh, we're also running some forums for people who want who are looking to build a sustainable home, um, so they'd be addressed by a. Green Builder and um, a panel of um, people who've had experience in building sustainably, um, and there's going to be a couple of forums this year.
2: With those sort of activities, it, there must be quite a few people that are involved you know, in front of and behind the scenes. Can you give us a bit of a sense of, of what's well, happening? We, we,
3: yeah, we've got a membership of um, somewhere between two and 300, um, typically. It's hard I'm not sure exactly how many at the moment. Breeze goes back to 2006 um, when a group of um, Ballarat uh, residents decided that they needed to do something about, you know, climate action, and initially the action they chose were solar bulk buys, and that drove membership, you know, because there weren't that many commercial installers around those days, and so they got it all together and it was quite big business. Um, since then we've kind of become uh, totally focused on the charity and we sold off the um, commercial arm to to one of our members who's still actually on the board in terms of active volunteers not that many at the moment um, we we used to have more but obviously the pandemic um, knocked things sideways a bit you know a lot of our activities went online and as we all know, marvellous as that is uh, in terms of convenience, it's it doesn't offer the same kind of collegiality, and so it tends not to be quite so popular. But uh, yeah,
2: and Probably. why did you get involved yourself? Why did
3: I get involved? Well, I was sort of um, recruited <laughs> because I I'm um, I was an academic, and my uh, media and communications academic, and my focus was climate communication. Um, and I've been, yeah, focused, I mean, like many of us, all of us on the screen, obviously, um, for some time about um, this. And certainly in terms of media coverage, I mean, it's great to be on your show and congratulations on having such a great, a great show. But, you know, in terms of climate communication, I'm sure we all feel... Yeah, very depressed about the, the absence, um, as as you were saying, Mick, the absence of really adequate commentary on what's happening and what we should be doing.
7: A couple of things there, Mary. Um, if you're interested, in, I mean, I'm sure that there will be people in Ballarat listening to us today uh, and tuning in to the podcast. Uh, if they want to join, how do they do that? And the other thing is that you mentioned that you were moved away from the commercial interest and were concentrating on your charity. Could you explain for me what your charity actually does?
3: Okay, well, first off, um, if people want to join Breeze, our website is breeze with an A.org.au, and you can join through that website or you can send um, an email to membership at breeze, with an A, .org, .au. Um, in terms of our um, charity arm, which is, we are an ACNC registered charity, we fundraise to put solar PV and other uh, you know, energy efficient devices associated with renewable energy into the properties of not-for-profits across our region. And as I said earlier, um, the project this year is um, funded, partially funded through the New Energy Jobs Fund and round six, and that's to put 58 kilowatts of solar PV onto five properties owned by Woodbine Inc, which is a disability provider in Warwick-Nabeel. the it's we see it as a win-win for the community because the charity will now have because of the bills the bill energy savings from having solar will have more income more revenue to invest in its core services but it's also of course helping to cut emissions across the region
0: mary it sounds to me like in ballarat you you guys are doing what the government should be doing
3: Well, I have to say we're we're working with government, so um, it's not us or government. I think, um, you know, we believe in think global, act local. Um, we as a charity um, need to stay um, out of the political fray. And so, you know, obviously I have my personal view, but speaking as the Breeze president, I don't really want to um, get involved in that. Clearly, we all want to see, we on screen, and I'm presuming your listeners, all want to see a lot more action. I certainly agree, no more gas, no more coal. That's an absolute. Um, we, as I said, are working in Ballarat for towards um, net zero by 2030. It's an ambitious target, but as the IPCC reports um, indicated, um, Zero by twenty thirty five should be the target for everybody so for a for a provincial city like Ballarat, which is in one of the um renewable zones for victoria it's it's probably not you know in in fact that ambitious although people will see it like that um, we do know that there are some industries um that are doing you know really good work in that field so um you know, working on the ground in the community, we we try to focus on the positive and the possible. Um, yeah, but you know, having said that, we do a lot of advocacy work. We did meet with our local um, federal member, Catherine King, who's minister for um, infrastructure, local government, transport, I think, and um, talk to talk to her about the safeguard mechanism, and we represented. Um, the views of, you know, the, the Climate Council submission and the submission of the Environmental Defenders Office, and, and said that yes, we wanted to see a ban on new fossil fuels. Um, we do, we do what we can. I'm
2: just wondering what her response to that was.
3: She was very gracious. She she um, explained that uh, the party room had decided on the policy as represented by. Chris Bowen to the nation, and that that was unlikely to change. Um, our position was that if there was going, to, if there were going to be any negotiations, you know, as a result of Senate opposition, that uh, we would like our our views to be yeah. <laughs> considered. Um, but yes, it was it was a civil discussion, and we we thanked her, and um, we left her with a copy of um, Saul Griffith's "The Big Switch." I'm not sure she'll have time to read it, but
7: we hope she does. Well, she should do, um, Mary. the The project that's, the projects that you are beginning in Ballarat are wonderful, uh, and but the difficulty is so wide. It's much more than just putting solar panels on roofs. You, uh, how are you going with the rollout of EV chargers, and how are you going with simply the education? Of people um, who've got their mind closed to um, the prospect of climate change, That's, that strikes me as being the biggest social problem. That the number of people who are saying, "Oh, it's not my bother. It's not my concern."
3: Look, the only message that I can that I can give in response to that is that we do what we can, and we are, you know, trying to form a an informal alliance or we're planning, we are in the throes of forming an informal rela- alliance with other environmental group and sustainability groups to try to reach out as far into the community as we can. And certainly EV charging networks are, are an important issue um, for electric bikes as well as electric cars for, for city dwellers. And, um, yeah, there's, there's so much work that needs to be done. Um, I think... You know, talking about it might not seem like you're doing much, but I think it is helping to, you know, widen acceptance of these things because they're new um, for a lot of people. But, uh, yeah, as I said, um, think global act local is, is, is what we're doing and we appreciate that it's only a tiny drop in the ocean of what needs to be done, but um, that's what we can do. So we are.
2: What's the the project, the activity that you've been most proud of?
3: Um, well, it's hard to say. I mean, we do we we do so many things, and I guess I'm excited by most of them. We've been involved in community power hubs, which have been funded through Sustainability Victoria by the state government, and through those we did um, install a huge amount of solar PV across not for profits. Um, the first one was um, 2017 to, to 2020, and the second one was just ran for a year, which was the last financial year. Um, and those are ways of actually engaging with people in small communities. And small communities can do quite a lot. <laughs> you know, they, they tend to be able to organise people, I think, more easily often than the city because, um, you know, networks are stronger and... Um, Communications, sort of more more direct, perhaps. The first of those community power hubs was the projects that have been identified in the community power hub were actually funded through another state initiative, which was the Grampians Renewable Energy Program. And through that program, we installed um, uh, half a megawatt or more. You know, it, I think with the One of the other projects was run similarly. It was close to a a megawatt of um, renewable energy. Um, So that was very satisfying. But then we also run a children's writing competition for World Environment Day, which is, you know, kind of like the opposite end of the scale of things. Um, And that's really nice because you see, you know, our budding young environmentalists, you know, children, this is for primary school age children, children in grades five and six, you know, feeling quite passionate about the need to do something. So, perhaps inspired by, by Greta Thunberg. Um, but yeah, um, I think it's all such important work and um, our board, um, a group of very committed people doing what they can.
1: Let fall outside Bells sound in the streets Still no one believes Homes are losing ground To the edge of the sea
2: Our next guest is Tamsin Revelle. Tamsin is um, at the forefront of a couple of projects, Farming Revolution, which is a platform for people to come together and learn about regenerative farming, a subject dear to our hearts. And also she's setting up a regenerative business directory. So obviously regeneration is common in both of those Thanks for coming on, Tamsin. Maybe you can tell us uh, about either of those or both of them.
4: Thank you, Tony. Yeah, I think I'll start with Farming Revolution because the topics are pretty big. Uh, basically, like you said, I set it up uh, to give people somewhere to go to to educate themselves about regenerative farming because, as you may know, We have uh, a health crisis on our hands and a lot of it is to do with our environment crashing, our ecosystems crashing and our soil particularly not functioning because we've basically been feeding our plants and our livestock synthetics. And it has meant that just as if you put somebody on the doll and provide them with money, they lose the incentive to work. So it's exactly the same with plants and animals. They stop doing the things that they need to do to pick up the nutrients. So, of course, then you end up with animals and plants that are lacking in particular minerals and they also become sick as well. And so you need to apply chemicals or wormers or antibiotics and then it's just that vicious cycle that's basically that's where we're at now um, with a crashing system. So I started this platform because I ended up with an autoimmune disease at about the age of 38. It was Graves' disease which means hyperthyroidism so your heart pounds, you lose weight, you're always anxious, you can't function properly Um, and I particularly it took a toll on my heart because of course your heart's a muscle and when you lose weight that quickly it's the muscle as well it's not just fat your body sort of stripping itself so I have a love-hate relationship with Big Pharma because of course I wouldn't be here I would have had a heart attack by the age of 40 or 41 because of my heart was under so much stress if I hadn't have had the um, thyroid blocking pills but the reason I was in that state (laughs) was because of Big Ag which is propped up with Big Pharma. (laughs) So that's my hate relationship. And I just realized that something had to be done. And by the age of 41, I was in hospital, I'd broken down completely. But the reason is, I believe was Mother Nature was telling me to lie down and just think about where I was because I was going to end up with cancer, I believe. Um, I have no proof for any of this. This is just how I feel. I'm connected to Mother Nature. I believe that the, one of the reasons, or there's plenty, there's a myriad of reasons why we are in the situation we're in, but one of them is we've lost connection with our planet and our planet is alive. And she is screaming at us at the moment to, to pull our socks up and actually sit back, listen to her and do what we need to do to create a more holistic environment. You're someone
2: who's obviously prepared to walk their talk. And we understand that you've got some land on the Gold Coast hinterland that you're regenerating at the moment. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
4: Yeah, absolutely. So I had a riding school for 10 years. And, of course, the whole thing about regenerative farming is that, um, especially if you've got animals, grazing animals, you time-rotationally graze them so that you give your grass and the microbes in the soil time to recuperate and regenerate and produce nutritious, whether it's um, other plants, not just grass. So we call them weeds, but they are not just weeds. They're there for a reason. And uh, of course, I had a riding school, had too many horses. So I was overgrazed, overstocked, working, flogging myself into the ground. It was a very successful business. So this is where I go for the whole regenerative business directory side of things, because I understand that you can be um, a victim of your own success as well. So I then close down after 10 years and my paddocks are in this, what I would class in my old, from my old vision and way of looking at things is an absolute weed pit. Every single one of those plants is doing a job, whether it is breaking up the soil, whether it is pulling up phosphorus, whether it is trying to add calcium, whether it's trying to improve the mycorrhizal fungi, whether it is... Um, enabling another plant next door to it to grow better to hold on to moisture every single plant which we call weeds um, has a job to do and I am observing at the moment and yes I definitely do walk my talk and it's a fascinating place that I'm at at the moment and I have to say my instinct is get rid of the weeds there's too many of them and of course the DPI gets on your back because you've got certain weeds that are noxious or whatever but they're all there for a reason And they have a cycle as well because our planet is on a cycle. Us humans are on a cycle. It's just at the moment, unfortunately, we have too many linear people because our system that we're in, whether it's politics, education, health, it's all linear. It is all, and it's the same with the whole, I call it the extraction process. So you dig something up. You make something, you use it, you throw it away, and then you dig something else up instead of recycling it. Like, recycling is not a new thing. It was done for a long time. And in African countries, they make shoes out of tires and things like that. And it is all still very alive and well in certain countries. But we have this throwaway mentality and buy something new every five minutes. And uh, it's crippling us and our planet.
7: That's an awful lot of information you've given us, Tamsin, and most of it was absolutely fascinating. I'm putting two and two together and assuming that the problem that you spoke of, first of all, about uh, when we over uh, fertilize our plants, they lose the ability to go looking for nutrients themselves. And I'm assuming that allowing your paddocks to go over to grow all the different plants and what we term as weeds is the solution to that. Because you really can't solve it by putting more fertilizers on, can you? If that is a solution, how does it differ from what um, they used to do, which was leaving a, a paddock to lie farrow for a certain amount of time and then replant it again?
4: Uh, Yes, definitely. There's the Sabbath. So uh, I'm not a religious person, but I really do believe that the Sabbath is very, very important. And and it's it's a part of a culture that means that you rest our bodies, our animals, our everything needs to rest. And so when you're talking about, yes, that that live fallow, which was where you basically lock up X amount of, of acres or hectares of your property for an entire year, in that seventh year, and you have a rotation of that. And it just allows Mother Nature to to just get on top of everything. The problem if we did it now is that our soils are so depleted, they're so reliant on these synthetics that we're putting on them, there is no microbes in the soil that they used to be or the quantity of them to actually and the diversity that's the other thing as well that we've lost so much and it's the same with our microbiome in our gut and the bees microbiome in their guts as well so we're all interlinked it's not that we are all these separate entities uh so yes I, i'm a big believer on that sabbath of, of resting it on that seventh year uh In a system where it's crashed, there is no, like I said, there's no point in resting it because you you have to help it to start with. And this is why if you have industrial farmers coming into the regenerative scene, there is this transitional period. So you can't say, right, don't put any NPK fertilizer on because remember they have to produce food as well they have to make a profit it's not this whole clean green wonderful we'll just stop using all the bad stuff (laughs) and then it'll all grow and it will all be back to normal it's not there's this transitional phase which is really super important and in that phase as well you have to have uh, the human mind going from this linear mindset to a circular or cyclical way and holistic like everything the diversity everything is included it's not just you sowing a seed and putting the fertilizer on and it growing and it's producing food it's everything else around it so what I've done here in a certain area because I do experiment is I've put um a like a friendly fertilizer with minerals on it but the broad spectrum of minerals including ones that you've probably never heard of so boron and um, molybdenum, which nobody can ever pronounce (laughs) Um, and calcium and zinc and everything and copper everything in the ratio that it needs to be there's no point in just putting calcium on or just putting um, nitrogen on because it's an you, it's an imbalance then, it, and nothing can function properly. And there are also things that block. So if you put too much potassium on, for example, it blocks another one. I'm I'm not the guru in in the the whole soil thing, but I, I have a broad understanding of. All right, so we have to do everything in balance. And that area of the paddock that I've actually put these mineral fertilizer on, my horses as soon as I let them into that paddock, the first place they go to is there, and the reason that they're going there is because it's starting to function correctly. And then once you've got the plants, living plants build living soil and they will just create this microbiological diversity under the soil as well as on top of it. And so now they found out that just a simple seed has its own microbiome. So when you plant it in the soil, if you plant it with a a biostimulant, that is something that actually increases the activity and, and the, the biology on the seed then gets excited and starts to just thrive. The, the plant that you've planted does so much better. And then you don't have to have this constant cycle of putting NPK on or all or, or the other additives because it's all there for you and it's all functioning
7: how does this fit in, Tamzin, with the First Nations treatment of the land? Because when for the thousands of years that they looked after it, it was very different to the way that y- you took over with your uh with your writing school.
4: Yes. Again, they have always listened to Mother Nature um, and their ancestors. They, for example, I think there's a bit of a um a misunderstanding with the fire connection. They definitely, again, they do it every seven years. Never, ever do they burn land, the same land, every single year because you kill species. Um, they used to do the burning to help hunt as well. So two things. Obviously, fire animals run away and they can run away to where you are. And that's perfect because that you don't have to hunt it then particularly. You just you're making them attracted to you running away from the fire. But the other thing is as well is that when they cleared land like that, the new shoots attracted the animals to graze. So as much as they were hunting, they were also spreading the the natural fertiliser, which is the animal manure and encouraging different species of plants and animals to graze in that area as well. And with fire, I have seen on video, uh, It has to be under particular conditions. So, of course, they'll look at the atmosphere and see what everything's doing. But out in the desert, they created this massive circle of fire that burned into itself. It looked like a mushroom cloud of smoke. And after one or two days, it actually poured down with rain because, of course, all the dust particles attracted all the moisture. But we're talking like it had been dry for a very, very long time, but there was still moisture up there in in the stratosphere way up. It was phenomenal to watch what happened. Yeah, and their, their knowledge is phenomenal for any Indigenous, anywhere in the world, wherever they live, they know. it's And it's been passed down, and that's what I feel as well in this day and age. We don't have aunties and uncles and grandparents that pass down this information. And we've lost so much just in my generation. I'm 47 now, but, but when I was growing up, we planted food and... There's so much knowledge that I've even lost from losing my grandparents fairly early. Um, But at least I got to experience picking plants and being out in nature and having no shoes on. That's really important. We've got to ground ourselves.
0: Farming revolution. That's a very powerful word, revolution. How are people receiving that, that you're talking about a revolution? And why did you pick it as such a strong word?
4: That's really interesting you should say that because nobody, apart from a retired barrister, actually questioned me on this. He said, Why did you use revolution and not evolution? And I sort of looked at him because I hadn't been asked it before and I had to think. And I like strong, assertive words and actions. And it sort of summed me up. And we actually do need a revolution. We have evolved, but it's it's not gone down the correct channel. It's, or it may be too focused. We always love jumping down rabbit holes. We need to come out and, and, look at the trees, look at the forests, not just bang our head against the, the tree trunk and wonder why that's not working. So, yeah, the revolution. But nobody else has actually asked me that, and it is. It's very powerful. It's very strong. And and who am I to say that we're going to create a revolution? But my beliefs are very, very strong in the collaboration and us all working together at grassroots level. That's the secret.
2: Samson? Are you using the horses as and, and dividing up your land and doing that strip grazing?
4: I am not strip grazing. I'm not timed rotational grazing. I So, yes, I'm a bit of a, what's that word, a hypocrite there, <laughs> uh, only because I, I can only do one thing at one time. However, the horse manure is producing fantastic food. Yeah. Uh, i've been blown away because uh of course on when you're talking about hectares and and the broad acre farming and mixed farming and, and grazing you're talking about huge amounts of land and ruminant poo which is cattle camels sheep they have more than one gut their poo seems to be doing really well and dung beetles love it horse poo on the other hand, they've only got one gut, so it works very differently. But what I found is once it's composted, the f- food, like carrots, you grow straight carrots. I know that the, the actual, the way that it's made, um, put together it's soft, so of course carrots go straight down. But the sweetness in it—that's that, what's blown me away. I've just had some pumpkins, and they're caramelising themselves when I'm roasting them. They're not stringy; they're they're completely like silk when you eat them. They're and you can eat the skin and the pepitas, which is the seeds. You can just—I eat the whole lot because <laughs> <laughs> it's just so tasty. And the thing is, you know as well that you're getting what your body really needs. Again, you don't need to go to Big Pharma and buy the synthetic drugs. You, you, it's all there in the soil because it's all being regenerated and activated.
2: How is your health? You certainly look like you're, uh, that's not an issue for you anymore. And if we can just talk briefly about the regenerative business project that you're involved in.
4: That's right. Yeah. So, uh, no, my health is great. So, what happened was I had, um, I was on the pills for two years. Um, I then ended up having um, a breakdown, which meant I fasted for four days. And I believe this was the secret because when Mother Nature said, lie down, stop what you're doing, because you're going to end up really seriously ill, I kept throwing, up. I was in so much pain, I kept throwing up. So, anyway, I couldn't eat for four days. And believe it or not, my thyroid specialist was actually the GP or, or the um, emergency doctor when I got ended up in hospital. And he looked at me and I'd lost so much weight and obviously I didn't look very well. And he said, have you got thyroid issue? And I said, yeah, well, you're my specialist because I could hardly recognize him either because he was out of context. He wasn't in his little office. He was in the hospital. Anyway, he said, well, are you still taking your pills? I said, there's no point because I can't keep anything down. Anyway long story short, no, I'm all good. I'm all healthy. My thyroid uh, and pituitary gland and hypothalamus, because they're all interlinked with that. um, Basically, pituitary gland is saying, let's just get some thyroid stimulating hormone to activate your thyroid. There's nothing actually wrong with your thyroid, but it's being told constantly to activate it. And that's the issue. So anyway, so I'm completely off those drugs. And I am probably healthier than I ever have been. And I started weightlifting this year because, of course, getting older, I need to keep my muscles in tune. (laughs) Yes. So that all led me to, okay. well, let's go a little bit outside of regenerative farming and let's talk about regenerating people's lives. Because, of course, I've been there, done that. And it's fantastic when you come out the other side. And uh, regenerating um, businesses as well. So if you're all in that mindset, because it's a holistic way, it's not just about your health. It's not just about money. It's not just about the environment or um, time, particularly time. All of us are time poor. It's the whole thing. So Let's build a platform, a centralized place, which I hate centralized places because that's when the corporates come in and, and that's where we, we end up where we're at. However, this is about finding the business that you need, um, the people that are on your same wavelength. They, they're like minded. They've got the same values. You don't need to have an argument about whatever it is uh, because we're all thinking the same in one place so that uh, we can all find whatever it is we want to. So it, it, it's it's all businesses under one roof, and it's never been done before, because normally when you go to a conference, you're at a health conference or a beekeeping conference or a farming conference or a business conference, whereas this, it's all businesses under one roof, and you can do networking, collaborating, and also educating customers can come on board and then it's all about spreading the word like a fungal network basically
0: and does that have another name or is that the farming revolution as well
4: okay so what it's in the pipeline so it's a regenerative business directory or the rbd because obviously that's quite a big mouthful and it will be uh so farmingrevolution.com.au is the website and then along the top there'll be um, a directory tab so you tap on that and then information comes up and you can sign up there it's just not ready just yet (laughs) I don't want to give a date either because I've been giving a date for like the last six months it's it's a massive um project that Kelly has taken on board and she wants to do it really well so it's going to be fantastic once it is actually all set up and ready to go
0: As bad as the IPCC message was last week, there was good news in the fact that we now have that report to refer to. I think a lot of people were quite shaken by seeing the kind of headlines that were going on TV news, in the newspapers, and so on. The mainstream media really talking about the climate time bomb, as the Secretary General called it. Have a listen to Jonathan Pye. He is translating the science for us in a way where we can all understand it. But uh, first, a language warning.
6: Our listeners are advised that the following segment contains coarse language that some listeners may find offensive. Hi. I'm Joanna Haig, Emeritus Professor of Atmospheric Physics at Imperial College London.
5: Hi, I'm Jonathan Pye, news reporter, and my main field of expertise is probably sarcasm.
6: For over 10,000 years, the concentration of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere has been very steady, at around 270 parts per million. Humans have thrived, and our entire civilization has developed under these very stable conditions.
5: Translation, when we got this planet, it was in pretty good nick. I think we're about to get told off.
6: Recently, however, human activity has caused a very steep rise in CO2 levels, which has produced a sharp increase in global temperature. The Earth has undergone temperature changes before, but this is at approximately 10 times previous natural rates, which is unprecedented and uncharted territory.
5: So, This axis represents time, and this axis represents how fucked we are.
6: The full impacts will take decades to be felt, but many are happening right now. We're seeing extreme events almost everywhere, from record-breaking heatwaves to extreme droughts, wildfires, storms and flash floods, even in traditionally temperate climates.
5: I don't know about you, but I liked it when the weather was the boring bit at the end of the news, not the big scary headline at the start of it.
6: Some aspects of the climate are changing far quicker than predicted. In particular, the regions with the most ice are heating up very fast, Siberia, the Antarctic Arctic. The
5: Arctic. I thought the shit was supposed to hit the fan later, for our kids and grandkids to deal with, but it's hitting the fan already, and we're all going to get covered in shit. There are also potentially dangerous feedbacks that, if
6: we reach various tipping points, could push our world into a period of runaway warming that we could do nothing about.
5: Us humans have been perched on a fairly calm globe so far, but we're about to flick it to bucking bronco mode to see if we can hang on.
6: For example, satellite data has revealed increasing ice loss in Greenland and West Antarctic ice sheets, which might be irreversible beyond two degrees warming. This could raise sea levels by more than 10 metres, which would inundate many coastal cities and create hundreds of millions of refugees. Hundreds of
5: millions? Fuck. That shouldn't cause any international political issues or major civil wars.
6: The Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change calculates that we need to halve emissions by 2030. We have the technology to do it and prevent the worst outcomes. This is what we need to do,
5: but this is what we're doing instead. Imagine that! By some incredible miracle, we can still save ourselves. But will we? Will we bollocks?
6: Historically, fossil fuels are responsible for about two-thirds of emissions, but the fossil fuel industry lobbies strongly against cuts. In fact, it's getting governments to grant new licenses for even more exploration, more oil and gas.
5: When you're in a hole, stop digging. That's the proverb. Not dig even more to maximize profits until the whole planet is fucked and you can go live in your bunker.
6: Now is the time to act, and to make your voice heard. It's up to each of us what we do. Go see your MP, go on a protest, boycott your bank if they fund oil and gas. But at this point, we all need to do something.
5: This is not gonna fix itself and recycling into the right bin is not gonna do the trick either. We all need to pipe up now or basically regret it forever. What did you think of my translation then? Spot on. Thank you. Do you have any optimism?
6: I have to have optimism, yes. because, because <laughs> if, you, if, you, <laughs> if you don't have optimism, then, then you won't do anything about it, and then, then we really are your F word. Fucked. Yes. The most important thing you can do is talk to the politicians and the people who are in the positions of power that can actually do the legislation and make things happen at large scale, because otherwise it's not going to make any difference.
5: OK.
3: Yeah, we need to act. We can't afford to be complacent any longer. It, it also helps. We have a, a, a cost of living crisis and um, moving to renewables is certainly going to help us address that and the climate crisis. So I think that's that's really where everyone's focus should be. Um, we're very keen to help low-income households to make that transition I think most people who understand are actually doing it already. But, yeah, there's never been a better time to get solar PV, um, an EV, um, a battery, a hot water heat pump.
2: <laughs> or stop buying fertilizers. <laughs> mm.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah, I guess recognising the difference between needs and wants is a good start, whether, whether we really need the items that we're, we're um, purchasing.
0: Thank you so much to Thompson and to Mary. Adding some positivity into this debate about uh, what do we do now that the IPCC is telling us we need to get—and sorry for the word—but we need to get our shit together.
7: Thames is already doing that with with the horses. <laughs>
4: <laughs> there was other stuff I could have added about carbon, because um, <laughs> uh, yeah. I could regenerative farming goes on forever.
0: <laughs> That's all we could fit in the hour. Thank you so much and uh, yep, now we know how to be the, be, the be the difference. Be the
1: difference. Be the difference. Be the difference. I know the world's gone mad. It's true. Be the difference. Many people say that Sweden is just a small country and it doesn't matter what we do. But I've learned that you are never too small to make a difference. And if a few children can get headlines all over the world just by not going to school, then imagine what we could all do together if we really wanted to. Be the difference. Be the difference. The star and the so am I gonna open everything up? Am I gonna let fury fill my cup? Am I gonna be an anthem singing in the dark? Gonna light up like a burning heart? Am I gonna stand still as a rock while everything shakes and tumbles off? Am I gonna remember the truth? I wanna be nasty, wanna be brave, not let his fear make me afraid I don't wanna pretend I'm too small to jump the wall I'm just trying to remember her voice telling me that